Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello, and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont of DuPont Wealth Solutions. Greg, how are you? Hey, Eric, I am fantastic. I'm ready for round two with Jason today. Absolutely. So for the listening audience, this is part two of a two-parter. Jason has been a fantastic guest. Great information on the last podcast. Uh, Greg, I don't think that anybody needs to go back and listen to that first one prior to this one, do they? Or can they, you know, should they go back and listen to that first before before this one? No, Jason and I discussed uh, how we were going to proceed uh, with these two episodes, and we designed it so each one would stand on its own. The, the one we Perfect. talked about before was, hey, if you got a capital transition a tax problem, let's listen to that one. And then this one is, uh, if you know, we, we're all looking at the income tax structure. We're all looking about, well, uh, the Trump tax cuts are going to expire in a few years. What's mm-hmm. that future look like? What's What are the rich doing so that they're not spending as much money on income taxes? And how do we manage uh, our own personal income tax liability? How can we find some of those edges that we may not know about that are absolutely perfectly 100% legal, but the everyday guy just doesn't know about? And so Jason's going to share those with us today to educate people on some of the tools that are out there. Uh, to reduce the impact of income taxes. Well, I learned a ton last time. Jason, thank you so much for coming back. I'm going to sit back and enjoy more education from both of you. Thank you. Jason, although we this is a you know, number two, I do want to give an opportunity if you just set the table in case somebody just comes in cold and hasn't listened to the first one, just a little bit about your background and your company and what you do. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Greg. Uh, so we focus entirely on uh tax management strategies. The name of our firm, Alternative Wealth Management, kind of sets the tone for what we try to do, alternative strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth. And typically that means paying less in taxes. You know, a lot of folks panic quite a bit when the stock market goes down 20%. We've had a a roller coaster ride this year and they're phoning their financial advisor saying, what can I do? My portfolio is down 20%. I need some solutions. Should I get out of the market? But year in and year out, they're willing to accept losing 20, 30, 40, 50% of their money in some cases to taxes. And so we help solve that problem to help reduce that tax exposure. Fantastic. It's a, it's a noble cause, as I like to say, Jason. <laughs> um, so you know, in our last episode, we did talk about capital and transition. I like the way that you phrased that. And so we're talking today now about income and tax reduction that way. Now, clarify for me, if you would, um, because I believe that what we're going to talk about today um, is only applies to people that are what are called accredited investors. Is that that correct? All the tools that we're going to talk about applies to that group of people? You know, Greg, uh, I would say almost exclusively all of our programs are only suitable for accredited investors. And it just means a a million dollars net worth. And there are some income requirements, 200,000 annual income if you're an individual, 300,000 if you're a joint uh, tax filer. And it really is legislation that protects those that uh, are more not as sophisticated and can afford 
uh, you know, to invest in these types of programs. When, when net worth is looked at to calculate if you are an accredited investor, uh, does that include, um, I guess, the face value of your home, the equity of your home? Does that include retirement accounts? What, what assets are looked at to determine whether or not I, as John Q. Public, qualify as John Q. Public accredited investor? Good question. So retirement accounts, yes. Primary residence, no. And so uh, your home does not include, uh, is not included in that calculation. Uh, retirement accounts uh, before the age of 59 and a half? I believe any retirement account helps you set your net worth uh, requirement. Okay. So many people then, you know, professionals uh, that have done some savings uh, that are now, uh, they've got their kids off to college and now they've, they've got some money to save and invest outside of traditional uh, 401k IRA structures. Uh, many of many people then qualify as a quote unquote accredited investor, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and looking at our strategies, they really do substantially help the individuals who are a lot higher than the two hundred and three hundred thousand dollar income mark. And so, you know, looking at what we do to mitigate tax strategies, typically, obviously, the more taxes and the higher income you're paying, the more we can help you. Yeah. Now, as we were chatting about this before going on air, um, there are uh, two different types of income that people need to understand uh, the distinction as we go into what are these type of tools that are used to uh, mitigate the cost of taxes on these incomes. Uh, the, that's passive income and ordinary income. So I'll, I'll toss that over to you, Jason, to, uh, to explain a little bit more about the, the significance of whether it is passive income or ordinary income and how that's defined. Well, it gets a little complicated, Greg. That's why I handed it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> so the passive income is kind of the preferred income. And because it's the most flexible as far as what you, tools you can use to offset that income. Uh, and in the simplistic sense of it, passive income is income that's generated without you being a real active participant in generating that income. And so think real estate investments where you're not a developer, so it's not your line of business to build and develop real estate. You're an investor in real estate and you get rental checks uh, for the from the tenants that own your real estate. That's considered passive income. If you're an investor in, let's say, a limited partnership that invests in other types of entities and you're not the one who's managing the fund, you've got someone who's primarily uh, creating the investments for the investors, <clears throat> that would also be considered passive income. So active income is what the majority of people are really uh, you know, generating, which is your W-2 income, you're working a nine to five job, uh, or any other type of income uh, along those lines. So that's, uh, that's the question that I get asked most frequently. Okay, Greg, I've you know, this I'm I'm working. I'm making a quarter million dollars a year of of wage income. What, if anything, can I do uh, to cut down the income taxes on that? Uh, so, what kind of tools come to mind from your toolbox to help somebody in that in that situation? Then we'll move on to the passive in income person after that. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, we work with a lot of CPAs and the CPAs will tell you, first off, try not to create the problem. <clears throat> so there are a lot of different investments out there that we can structure uh, to generate income in a passive. And we'll talk about passive more later, but they can generate passive income and we can provide solutions to offset the passive income so that we're providing tax-free cash flow. But if you're in a situation like most that you've got regular income, W-2 income, you need to really take advantage of coming into general partnerships or limited partnerships. Now, uh, you're really limited when you are just doing things outside of a partnership because you're only using your own deductions and uh, charitable contributions to things, itemized deductions to reduce your income. The accredited investors have the ability to come into a partnership structure that is built to create an, an operating entity that spins off pa pass-through deductions, we call them. <clears throat> and so that can come in the form of depreciation, depletion allowance, intangible drilling costs. These are parts of an operating entity that get passed through to those that are investing into the partnership. And so, yeah. And and if somebody's interested in something like that, uh, that's kind of where you guys come in to, to vet opportunities that are out there and then make those available to uh, the consumer. It's not like I got to go find uh, people to, to create a partnership to do this. Uh, there are... Um, uh, there's a market for for those type of uh, investments, right? There is. And so there's oil and gas programs, there's different types of land transactions. So I'll discuss a few of the deductions that get passed through rather than talk about the programs. I'll talk about the types of deductions that the Internal Revenue Code allows for and provides for. Uh, there is uh, charitable contribution deductions you know, as we had discussed on our previous podcast, the government just doesn't hand out tax benefits. They're incentivizing private sector investments uh, in different fashions, either for business continuity or economic growth, or what we love in particular, we have a high focus on environmental, social, and governance responsible programs. And there are a lot of incentives for that. And one of them is conservation of land. You know, the, the Park Service and the Forest Service was started back in the early century last year. I think it was Roosevelt who was a big conservation proponent. Uh, and so the government kind of muddled through uh, con conservation of land, but it wasn't until the late 70s, uh, early 80s, when they put in a tax code that provided for a deduction of conservation of land. It's called Internal Revenue Code 170. And it put in a framework for how people can take a piece of property. And again, it has to have a merit to why you're conserving it. Can't be your backyard that you decided to conserve your backyard. Has to have a, a real purpose for a beneficial environmental aspect. Uh, and so it's really, you know, it is beautifying the country and a lot of the conservation is uh, reducing CO2 emissions but it also has to have something to do with either wetlands or uh, you know, the, the, there's some purpose behind it. And so the tax deduction that is put in place allows you to put together a proposal for a development or what's called the highest and best use for the land, what the land could be worth if you were to develop it. 
And basically, if you chose to, rather than develop it in your proposal, conserve the land, you're able to take a deduction for the economic loss of value of what could have been had you developed it. And so that's one fashion in a conservation uh, sense. You know, the oil and gas uh, type programs, that's pure passing through of expense deductions. And so in those types of programs, you're able to come in as a partner in an in a, uh, operating business entity, and they actually pass through business losses to you. And so you can deduct those against your current year income. Uh, and then hopefully the business model for most of these uh, programs are to generate an income through cash flow from operations. But it really kind of focuses back on the first year deductions that help to reduce that income tax. Gotcha. So you're going to get significant potential, significant tax reduction in year one. Uh, and again, the the investment itself is vetted to be, uh, you know, obviously with risk, but it's vetted to be a a, um, a known risk as to what it's going to, if it's going to produce or whatever, maybe it's going to, but uh, don't go into this thinking that you're going to hit a home run in terms of the, the value of the asset growing. You're going to get benefit up front and maybe some some more benefit down the road. Exactly. And real estate can do that for you too, because real estate offers depreciation. And so again, it comes back to your deductions. And uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, what we've discussed before is it has to have merit on its own. You know, it, it really needs to be a good investment and a good purpose aside from the tax benefits. Uh, and then when you put the tax benefits on top of, of it, it really does a substantial impact for you in mitigating your income taxes. Gotcha. So on the ordinary income side of the ledger and of our discussion today, ordinary income versus passive income, on the ordinary income side of ledger, uh, the primary tool that can be brought in to, to bear to mitigate taxes uh, is the ability to use these limited partnerships, general partnerships, and get pass-through uh, expenses, deductions, what have you, that will go on your tax return as as tax deductions. Um, am, I, am I correct on that? Absolutely correct. Um, is there any other tool for the ordinary income uh, side of the conversation that you want to uh, bring out to, to the consumer at this point in time? Or should we switch over to passive income? We should switch over, but just to summarize the other one, uh, you know, it really is about your deductions that reduce your income uh, or itemized deductions that go against your adjusted gross income. So yes, it's all about expenses and deductions. And now let's go to the uh, sexier side of the conversation, uh, tax credits and those kind of things that come into play against passive income, right? Right. So the tax credits are the most powerful of your uh, tax offset because it's actually a dollar per dollar offset of your income tax that's owed. If you have a, a dollar's tax credit, it pays a dollar of your tax liability. And so it's not a deduction. It actually is a tax payment. And so it's a very powerful tool and the government uses it wisely. Uh, the biggest example that we work with 
is solar tax credits. And I get a lot of calls from people that are talking about putting solar on their rooftops. And yes, you do get tax credits for doing that. And it reduces your cost of putting solar on your residential rooftop. But the tax credits when we're working with solar are commercial grade uh, developments where it allows us to interject equity to the developer to help them raise capital to fund their development. And so tax credits are a substantial form of that. Uh, right now, every uh, dollar you put into uh, development, you get 26 cents worth of tax credits. There was a bill that just recently passed, I think last weekend, which will elevate that back to 30 cents on the dollar. Now, uh, when they build these programs, they are using leverage and debt. And so it elevates the amount of tax credits in the way they calculate it. So on some of these programs, you put a dollar in, you can get upwards of 80 cents back uh, based on your investment in the solar development. And so that's one component of uh, you know, these programs. They also, like the other programs I was discussing with the income, the regular income deductions, they also pass through a substantial amount of depreciation. And what the benefit of that is, that is a direct uh, deduction against your income. So you really have two formats of tax mitigation for the passive income earner. You've got tax credits that are the best dollar for dollar offset of the actual tax liability, but you also have a substantial amount of depreciation allowance, and that's a loss on your tax return that reduces your income. So just to kind of bring this uh, full circle here. Um, we, we talked in the last conversation about capital mitigation and in, in the transition of real estate from one person to the next uh, through an exchange, what have you. Um, and this this is how investing in real estate is so powerful for the people that know how to do it the right way. I mean, if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, so um, I've got a portfolio of, of, uh, of um, rental properties that I, that I'm a passive investor in. I've got to get rental income off of it. Uh, so I get depreciation to, to until it's depreciated. Uh, and then I have the ability to use tax credits like you spoke of to get leveraged almost 80 cents on the dollar in some situations against my tax liability uh, because it's, I'm, it's passive and I can buy credits. So I then and this is this is how back in the day they used to always joke about the doctors and what were the tax shelters uh, those type of things that this is real estate as an engine for generating wealth if you don't um, if you do it the right way and it's blessed by and beloved the solar is is really you know a, a great uh, supported uh, you know investment on both sides of the house and. Uh, so that's why they just raised the benefits to that. And so a lot of the stuff, as we spoke before, are focused on environmental, social, and governance responsible programs. So we really feel good, not just about, not just about you know, the deductions that we provide for people, but we're really doing good for the environment, uh, society, and you know, all these different benefits that have a real meaning behind them. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this world of of these tax credits, this this isn't something that you go to uh, your typical broker 
to, to, to get access to. You need to go to, to a specialist that uh, knows all of the, the, the tools that are out there, the different credits out there, because they're, they're is wide ranging, right? You, you've talked about solar, you've talked about conservation easements, uh, haven't talked about things like film credits, those kind of things that, uh, you know, if you lived in Georgia, that you could invest in those kind of things. And there are other types of even more, exotic type of tax credits and, and, and isn't it the key that these are areas that the government or should i say congress has decided that they want to funnel pork <laughs> that direction or otherwise spur investment into an area so it's a wide-ranging field of uh, credits that are out there that each have different um, math to them as to whether they make sense right absolutely yeah um so again, on the as we talked about the ordinary income side and 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 all that. Uh, now with the passive side, we have tax credits. Is there anything else on the passive side that uh, you believe that the listener should know about? Well, that's the biggest one. I mean, you mentioned different types of tax credits. There are different types of tax credits, but most of them are unavailable to. Uh, typical investors. Uh, you know, you mentioned film tax credits down in Georgia. There's a thriving film industry and the government incentivizes that through tax credits. There's carbon sequestration tax credits for big businesses to reduce their carbon emissions. So there's all different types of tax credits, but, you know, solar tax credits is the most accessible. Fantastic. Uh, so as we wrap up uh, our conversation about income mitigation, uh, whether it's ordinary income or or passive income, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the uh, the listener as strategies or just thoughts that come to mind that you'd like to tell your clients when they come in and say, "Hey, Jason, we would we want to engage you for a tax reduction minimization strategy plan." What what, what other things would you like to share? Well, I'm going to uh, grab one of the lines kind of that you said before. It's your patriotic duty to pay your taxes, but it's your choice to pay more. Uh, so it, it comes with uh, planning. Most of this is the, the longer runway you have in advance of actually triggering capital gains or income, the better we can prepare and use different strategies to plan for. There are certainly a lot of strategies that we can initiate and implement after the fact uh, but it's typically best to, uh, you know, have an ongoing relationship with a firm that can really work with you on these specialty type programs. Great. Eric, as we wrap up, uh, any questions from the, uh, the proverbial fly on the wall? Well, this fly on the wall learns so much every time we get together, Greg, I appreciate it very, very much. Jason, you've been fantastic. I'm, I do have a question for you. For those that are looking to uh, maybe begin their journey in in investing so that they can have some passive income, uh, specifically because that's a lot of your focus today, uh, what would you suggest or what are your thoughts on that? Well, thank you, Eric. I love that question. You know, uh, the whole structure of how we operate, again, it's generally in partnership format, whether it's a general partnership or limited partnership. It's something that you really can't obtain if you're just buying stocks and bonds, because mm -hmm. if you're invested in a stock and bond portfolio. Really, your only tax strategy is to sell a stock that's appreciated and offset it with a stock that's a loser. And so if you're an accredited investor, 
these are actively, uh, you know, proactive programs that you can come into that can bring you into an investment concern that can potentially generate a good amount of income, but also, as we discussed, provide you with those pass-through deductions that can impact your own income. And it could be real estate, oil and gas programs. There's a number of different programs that we work with. So uh, great question. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And I don't want to let you go without asking you how people can get a hold of you. Uh, so I can be emailed at the letter J, last name Pischel, P as in Peter, U E S as in Sam, C H E L at alternativewm.com or by phone 860 841 1183. And I know that, uh, Jason, you can also be reached through Greg because Greg is the conduit for so many brilliant people, including himself, of course. Greg, can you give out contact information if people want to reach out to you, whether to, to talk to Jason or talk to you personally? You can reach out and get a hold of me at uh, email at greg at dupontwealth.com. That's D-U-P-O-N-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Or you can just uh, pick up the phone the old-fashioned way, uh, 614-408-0004. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time again. Love the conversation, love the education, and uh, I'll be on the next podcast as well. Learn more from whoever you're bringing on next time, Greg. Thanks, guys. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont. You know what? And as I'm reflecting on that, that title is just so appropriate. Your Financial Advocate. He brings on brilliant people that, that he can have a conversation with, get to the bottom of things to help the listening audience, to help me. Uh, and Greg, I appreciate you, man. I just want to let you know that. Uh, for you, the listening audience, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 